0: Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 83 of Hypnosis Weekly. hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to hypnosis weekly once again in my own highly biased opinion i think i have a stunning show lined up for you today in a short while i'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest dipty tate then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories examining the media where hypnosis is featured offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media but also comment on some of the content of those media stories we then return with our professional discussion. With my guest, Dipty Tate. We'll be talking about her work using hypnotherapy to help with grief, a topic not covered before here on the show. We'll round things off with this week's evidence based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every hypnosis weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on hypnosis. Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts, or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just Hypnosis Weekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else. Help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go. Give us a favourable rating and even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. You know what? It takes just a few seconds, one or two clicks, to just give us a favourable rating. So what are you waiting for? So first up today is this week's interview with my guest Dipti Tate. A couple of weeks ago, Dipti wrote the following on LinkedIn. As well as giving birth twice with no pain relief, I went on a course run by Adam Eason and volunteered to have him stick a needle through my hand. So since then, I've been able to manage pain, needles and dentists. So yes, you know, I met Dipti in real life a few years ago and she attended a one day seminar of mine. During that seminar, she stepped up boldly, uh, created glove anesthesia with ease and I put a needle through her hand. Since then, I've watched from afar uh, and come into contact with uh, Dipti on occasion, seen her really develop into quite a phenomenon. Um, I joke later on about her being the darling of breakfast TV because, yes, recently she's been a regular on the sofas chatting to Jerry Halliwell and other such presenters. One of the things I really like about Dipti is how she walks her talk. You can find videos online whereby she's had root canal surgery using only self-hypnosis for analgesia. Uh, she gave birth, as she said, using her own devised hypnobirthing skills before she was even taught it. She overcame meningitis, as you'll hear about later on, used her own skills to help her deal with that adversity as well. Her and I are going to talk about her specialist subject of grief later on in the show. But first, I interview Dipty all about hypnosis and her. So for now, get comfy, my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Dipty Tate. Dipty, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly.
1: Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me on.
0: Um, I, I was There's part of me that wanted to call you what what has what, um, um, become my my name for you in our ongoing communications, which is Dipty, the darling of Breakfast TV, um, because I've seen you on there so much, but I chose not to and just mention it afterwards. I hope that's cool. <laughs>
1: I love that. I think I'm just going to have to change my whole website.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is it. This is it. I'm, I'm, I'm here for branding. So, um, so let's, let's learn a little bit about, about you, first of all. Um, tell, us, tell us a little bit, you know, about your, your background, how you got into this field and how you've arrived at where you are now.
1: Well, hypnotherapy was something I was always interested in. Obviously when I'm I'm kind of a, a little bit older than I look. So when I was younger, hypnotherapy wasn't really a thing. Um, yeah. but I got into it when I was actually about sixteen, and that was actually in the eighties, believe it or not. Um, I was suffering with stress for exams and you know, my parents were Indian. Uh, and they were really like on to me about studying and education, and I just really wasn't really, you know, <laughs> going very far. And so I used to get really, really stressed quite easily. And then I was—I happened to look through my local paper and I saw this tiny little advert for a hypnotherapist. And it sh- she said we deal with stress-related issues. And and I—I I was really brave, sixteen-year-old with all my pocket money, and I <laughs> rang her, and. um and off I went to this little room and she sat me down and, you know, just did some what I would think nothing really happened at the time. Mm. Uh, and I walked out of there thinking, well, that was a bit of a interesting way to spend my fifty pound allowance that I had for the mm-hmm. year, kind yeah. of thing. Anyway, um long and short of it was that I still felt stressed, but I was able to cope with it much better. And I just didn't know why. Mm. So then hypnosis was something part, you know, sort of stuck into my mind as something that could potentially be useful. So, Mm skipping forward i didn't actually study psychology or anything you know or i uh, didn't go down that road i kind of went into the media uh when i uh, qualified and i did a media studies degree and everything and then i kind of went into tv and but hypnosis was always part of my world like my thinking i'd always be really interested in how the brain works um i used to love tomorrow's world don't know if you remember that. yes road. i do indeed <laughs> So anytime the you know, anything was on about the brain, I'd be there, I'd be watching. So it really was a hobby, quite really, honestly, it was a hobby. And then um, I grew up and then I started doing a lot of reading and researching and and stuff like that, even though it wasn't my career. Um, And then I went on to have children and and i decided that i was going to do my own version of hypnobirthing so i gave birth to these two boys without any pain relief and and that was just from brilliant. pure self study yeah um and i thought gosh well if i can do that i can almost do anything you know and that's how it kind of started for me
0: yeah 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 brilliant brilliant i you know i i love hearing about that um um, um where, where, where are you at as far as as far as you know, hypnosis is concerned as a result of your, you know, your your studying um, and and the career that you've had since then. Um, 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 um how, how do you define hypnosis, or or or, and how did you arrive at that definition, or how, how do you explain it to to clients and to you know when you when you're stuck in a in in the kitchen at parties, you know, and people are asking you about it.
1: Well, it's like a 10-word top line, isn't it? It's like you're, you're stuck in a lift statement. Um, and my one is that hypnosis helps you make friends with your brain. Mm. And it's just as simple as that, really. I love the way that I can talk about hypnosis without being kind of full of jargon. Um, yeah, good. I kind of, I really like to bring it into the real world and, you know, bring it into the everyday language. Yeah. Um and, and I like to help people kind of experience it for themselves rather than try and, you know, explain it or over explain it. Sure. Um so that's kind of my way of 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 sharing what I do is I just say to people, look let's give it a go, you know, close yeah. your eyes. <laughs> or 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 just go into your imagination. So I'll kind of do you know, like James, I don't know if you, you know James Tripp. Yeah, I know him well. he does that, Yeah, so hypnosis without trance thing, and you just kind of talk to people, and they probably don't realize you're doing it, but you're just, you know, just going into language patterns as normally as you would speaking. So that's yeah. kind of the way I like to share what I do, yeah. really
0: yeah yeah and so so you, you mentioned James there tell me um, who, who, who are some of your other major influences in this field um, um are there are there certain books and authors that have taught you most are there teachers that have been most influential upon you um tell us a little bit about those kind of things
1: well training wise um I actually did go and get formal qualifications so I trained with the Clifton practice which is um under the founder of david newton who yep. is the the founder of solution focused hypnotherapy yeah. so of course david newton's my guru um you follow closely behind actually adam okay oh, so, <laughs> so you know i trained i did a training with you in 2013 and that was actually when i first qualified as a hypnotherapist so yeah. You were there up there with my, you know, kind of my uh, ambassadors in my head. Great. Um, of course, James Tripp again, and um, Steve Peters, The Chimp Paradox. He's one of one of my yeah. um, the the go to books I would really recommend to all of my clients because the way he talks about the brain, he talks about the primitive mind as like a little chimp, and it makes those kind of knee-jerk decisions and reactions and i liked that kind of analogy of of we've all got this little chimp jumping up and down in our mind Um, so we've got to be able to learn to kind of control it and and speak to it and you know hear it um one of the first pioneers of hypnotherapy that i used to um you know listen to and read um books about was linda hudson uh, she was the first kind of female hypnotherapist that I yeah.
0: discovered. Yeah, she's lovely, Linda. She's been yeah, on the
1: show. Yeah, really lovely. Um and then Brian Colbert, he does um he's a lovely Irish guy and he has an app called DigiPill and that's the um basically they're just like hypnosis audios and I listen to them every night before I go to sleep. So right.
0: Great, great, great. So it's a a big mix there Um, 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 within your experience and within a lot of the stuff that you've, that you've been doing. Um, I mean, you spoke about, you spoke about giving birth with your own, you know, your own version of hypnosis. Can you tell me what's been some of the, some of the, or, or one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've ever directly witnessed?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, of course, maybe some people would say things like that are more, I don't know, dramatic applications or, you know, um, I don't know, stage stuff. But it's not that stuff that really does it for me. No. It's it's kind of like, I suppose, it's not the monumental things. It's almost like the everyday stuff, yeah. the really small, tiny little movements. Um, so those... Those kind of penny drop moments that my clients have, you know, the realizations, those aha moments that when you see people's belief systems shifting or, you know, their thoughts are moving in a different direction and habits are being retrained and it's just those tiny, subtle things. They're the really amazing things that make me just kind of stop and be just kind of amazed, you know, at how powerful this stuff is.
2: Um,
1: And it's not about the wow stuff. It's all about the tiny little subtle things for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I, I think sometimes as therapists, when you're when you're there at the coal face, so to speak, you, you know, day to day, you can almost become. You run the risk of becoming blasé about some of the or, or, or and normalising some of the the really amazing stuff that goes on in the therapy room. Yeah, um, um, so it makes a lot of sense to me. What about um um? You know, you know, I mean, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I was really keen to to to, to speak to you, not 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 just because we, we, we you know we met before and we we connected before. But also, you know, I've read this really uplifting article that you you were at the centre of, you know, based upon um, your own experience with with Miller-Fisher syndrome. Um, um, Did you use did you use hypnotherapy and and self-hypnosis with regards to your, your, you know, finding a way out of that?
1: Well, that was a really interesting article, actually. I think the one you're talking about is the one in the Daily Mail. Yeah. Um, but they got it wrong. Oh, they, right. they said that I had Miller-Fisher syndrome, but oh. actually I had meningitis.
2: Oh, right. Okay.
1: And um, uh, they misdiagnosed me with Miller-Fisher syndrome. And so actually what happened was I used hypnosis to get better from meningitis. Which was obviously a bit more of a bigger story, and I don't quite yeah. know why they didn't mention that bit. But no. yeah, so what happened was um, I was misdiagnosed with Miller Fisher syndrome because uh, the presentation of what I was displaying uh, was not classic meningitis symptoms. No, right. So. What happened was, was, it was Easter, and um, Easter Sunday, and I was just about to tuck into my roast. Back then, I wasn't a vegetarian. And um, I started to kind of feel tingling in my lips, like I'd been to the dentist. Yeah. Um, and very slowly, this tingling kind of spread across the whole of my face. And by the end of that meal, my whole face was paralyzed, and I couldn't move it whatsoever. It was completely frozen. Oh,
2: my gosh.
1: So um, yeah, it was it was like I I'd had like a huge Botox injection across all of my face. So yeah. I just look, you know, I looked like a ventriloquist. I couldn't animate my face. There was no no movement there whatsoever. The only thing I could move was the bottom half of my jaw, and I could blink the top like eyelids down, and that was it. Um, so yeah, this was quite a scary uh, thing. Yeah. So basically. Um, we went to the hospital, and cutting a really long story short, they put me in, in under observation for a whole week, and, and they didn't come to the conclusion it was meningitis at all, even though they had taken a lumbar puncture. And um, oh, blimey. They um, the interesting thing is that this was before I actually came on your pain one, on your yeah. pain workshop, and they did this lumbar puncture, and they said to me that you know, this procedure is going to be really painful, you're going to have a wicked headache, you're going to be bedridden, Um, it's going to be a six-hour procedure. And I was thinking, why is it going to be a six-hour procedure? And they had to take something like six vials of um, CSF, which is obviously the the cerebral fluid, and they said it takes about an hour to fill up each vial. And so I had to lie there for six hours <laughs> while they were doing this. And the interesting thing is they had a junior doctor as well as a a, a, a normal doctor there. Yeah. And the, the junior doctor, <clears throat> excuse me, the normal doctor was trying to explain exactly what was happening. So what I was trying to do was put myself in a trance and kind of take myself away. But at the same time, I was hearing the graphic details of what they were doing. So this was a really interesting experience for me because actually I thought, well, if I can put myself into a good trance here and, you know, get myself into a good place and, and recognize that I've got these abilities, that I can do this for myself, then this is a good test. So in a way, I used it as a as a test for myself and I was yeah. able to do it quite successfully I didn't have any bruising I was able to get up right right afterwards move wow. normally I didn't have a headache I didn't have any pain and um they they were actually really surprised so for me that was a good sign yeah
0: wow just brilliant you know I, I just I love hearing stuff like that and um the fact that you know you you'd done that and a lumbar puncture is one of the most painful surgical procedures anybody can undergo. Um um and you know, to, to do that and, and and your own your own made up version of of of, of hypnosis with childbirth. Um Um, you know that's that's wonderful you know I I just think that's a real real testament to to you and the kind of person that you are you know I love I love hearing that stuff um tell us tell us a little bit about you know um, if you could go back to when you started out when you started out as a hypnotherapist as a hypnosis professional knowing the stuff that you know now having been on the journey you've been to, to this date is there anything that you would do differently and if so what and is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger version of you um that you Do you'd happily share with uh, hypnotherapists that are tuning in, that are listening today?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Well, I wish I could say something like, oh, I wish I did psychology as a degree or something like that. But actually, to be honest, I think the journey that I have been on has just been perfect. And it's just each point of my life and each aspect of my experience has contributed to where i am now you know i feel Mm. that even though it might not feel relevant or it might not have appeared obviously relevant there are lots and lots of bits of it that are relevant and keep showing up like for example when i worked in the media um you know i worked in tv and radio and i was trained in voice um and i was trained to to speak in front of a camera and so those sorts of things, you know, are coming back really usefully now. You know, people are like, you know, like I can go on live TV and not lose the plot, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's sort of, I guess everything that I've been through has really shaped and experienced and helped with my experience and, and shapes yeah. me as a person. And, and, you know, as you know... Um, we bring our own personalities to hypnotherapy don't we and you know we we all have our own kind of way about us even though we might all we some of us might be following a certain model or you know a certain um modality we're still bringing our own personality into it so it's 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 you connecting to the client it's you building that rapport it's you building that trust um so that's so i think all of my experiences have have made me what i am today so i i don't think i would actually change anything actually
0: no no that's really good to hear um um the um you know uh, I, I i i love you know there's there's some real gold in in, in what you just said there, as far as I'm concerned, you know I love this idea of of people being really honest about what their, their their personality is and who they are, both both with with clients, you know, because heck, then you don't have to you don't have to attempt to be congruent or you don't have to try hard to develop rapport because you you are just busy being yourself and and letting your true personality come out. And I think you know very there's a, there's a lot of there's a big trend in amongst hypnotherapists to kind of behave and become a way that they believe they should be perceived rather than being being true and honest about who they who they really are um so for me it it really rings a bell when you when you said that
1: it's about authenticity really i mean if that's what we're teaching and we're helping our clients move towards excuse me the empowering part of themselves you know i mean i don't really like all these massive buzzwords but you know what I mean that whole authentic yeah. person that you you know celebrate the uniqueness of you well if you're not doing that then I don't know that just doesn't resonate very well with me
2: yeah
0: yeah I agree I agree and and you know I think I think it makes for effective marketing as well you know because people pe- people see see the kind of people that we are and um and so on yeah yeah it's 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 really lovely to hear um tell tell me no what, what you and i are going to be speaking some more about um about, about some of the topics within your book good grief um in a short while um and for now where can people go to learn more about your work your approach and 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 stuff that you do
1: well, if you want to connect with me in real life, um, my website is thecotswoldpractice.com. Um, I also work with people, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a real frog in my throat today. I also work with people online over Skype and that kind of thing, and that's com. I really need some consistency here, but everything is really different. All my names are really different. Um, and on Twitter, you can find me at dipnotherapy. Mm -hmm. and i have a youtube channel which is dipty the hypnotherapist
0: great great and um we'll have links to all of those pages and sites over at this episode's page of the hypnosis weekly website um dipty thank you for now we will be back with dipty tate in just a few minutes time stay tuned really enjoyed that. More from Dipty in a short while. And a valuable lesson for me there uh, never to trust a Daily Mail as part of my research for future podcast episodes. I was going to try and edit that bit uh, as a means of trying not to make me look so ill informed. But heck, I like to admit to my own fallibilities on occasions. Uh, bloody Daily Mail. Uh, on to this week's hypnosis in the news then. This week I'm citing uh, three stories. That are featured in the media in the past couple of weeks. Um, First up, from uh, is is an article entitled that was in Business Insider um, and is entitled "From Burning Man Trips to Hypnotherapy: Here Are Four Brainstorming Techniques You Can Learn from the Ad World." And uh, this is an article whereby four marketing gurus um, um, share. Their, 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 their insights and their, their, their best techniques of how you can be more creative and more awesome in the marketing and ad world. And uh, one particular chap, Jay Gelardi, uh, um, apparently his career has taken him around the world. Um, and I'll quote from the, uh, from the article itself. But the executive creative director at the digital ad agency, Huge, has taken his penchant for hypnotherapy a technique that people use to enter a trance state and supposedly clear their thoughts with him everywhere that he has gone. Gilardi is obsessed with the power of the subconscious and believes it has a real effect on creativity and is now teaching employees at Hughes Los Angeles digs to do the same. Gilardi has taken hypnotherapy classes and has trained himself on ways to unlock his subconscious self, including how to have creative dreams. He loads his brain up with certain thoughts, for instance, ideas for a potential ad campaign right before going to bed and sleeps with a notebook next to him. During the night, he wakes up and takes notes. He, uh, When he wakes up, he tries to make sense of all his thoughts. And then he's quoted as saying, 99% of it is gibberish, of course. But forcing yourself to make sense of things that seem disjointed or disconnected can often open up new ideas. That's what he told Business Insider. And I think that perhaps some um, um, of Geladi's conceptualization of what hypnosis is, This is potentially gibberish too, to be honest. However, I really like the fact that hypnosis is being used to advance performance and creativity, as well as the sort of usual media portrayals of therapeutic applications. And I've got to say that makes me happy, albeit a bit of a pretentious article. Second uh, uh, um, piece in the media this week that I'm commenting upon is entitled Angus Brayshaw's mother has revealed she turned to hypnotherapy to cope with her son's concussions. Um, And this is um, uh, Irish sportsman Angus Brayshaw, uh, his mother Deborah, revealed that the, um, um, and I'll quote, Angus Brayshaw's mother, Deborah, has revealed the extreme measures she has employed to allay her anxiety surrounding her son's concussions. Brayshaw has only played 10 games in the past two seasons because of a string of head knocks that have rendered him unfit to play. She's quoted as saying, What I've found in the last couple of years since Angus has had his concussion is that I've been a bit of a nervous spectator. Um, That's what she told SEN's Details podcast. She says it wasn't sitting comfortably with me because I really, really love footy and I enjoy watching it. And I was going to the football and not enjoying it as much as I'd like. So earlier on this year, I took myself off and had a bit of hypnotherapy done so that my anxiety watching the football actually diminished and I could enjoy it. Um, now, I love that she has used hypnotherapy with so much benefit. And I've read similar stories about mums of sports stars, in particular, for example, uh, the mother of the Brownlee brothers, the triathletes. Um, a mother cannot watch them race because they push themselves so hard and get so close to exhaustion. Apparently on training, they've had to call ambulances to come and pick them up while they've pushed themselves so hard. And likewise with boxers and and, and so on. But what struck me, and um, what stuck with me about this article is what they wrote at the beginning. I'll quote again Angus Brayshaw's mother Deborah has revealed the extreme measures she has employed to allay her anxiety surrounding her son's concussions. Extreme measures. This is one of the things that, you know, in a sort of attempt to sensationalise and portray hypnosis in a very particular light, hypnosis is not extreme. You know, it's sensible and it's proving to be sensible and effective and was good sense in this case, because it's helped uh, Angus Brachel's mother um, to reduce her anxiety. It's certainly not extreme, you know. Um, um, I mean, if it were extreme measures, we'd sort of go round with 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 sort of, you know, skating t-shirts on and and start saying whoa dude in sort of Bill and Ted style um extreme anyway I'm kind of digressing Um, third final story this week is entitled was in the express and it was entitled hypnosis and cancer how hypnotherapy can help patients through chemo chemo um, following uh following um, our edition a couple of uh, a couple of episodes back whereby uh, my guest Gary Coles spoke about hypno oncology. It was great to see an article in the Daily Express refer to this topic um, and the lady to a feature in um, in the article. Um, Ellie Holmes, explained that she had um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, a cancer that affects the lymphatic system, mostly affects people in their early 20s or over the age of 70. And she was 39 at the time of her diagnosis. Um, um, And she was told that she had an 87% chance of being alive after five years. Um, And despite what she'd read, um, she still believed that she was going to die. She was gripped with a fear that she wouldn't make it out of her 30s. Um, and when she was sort of reeling from the shock of her diagnosis her father died um, very sadly and she was given six months of chemotherapy a treatment that made her incredibly sick she lost all of her hair and she felt that she looked awful and she stopped looking in mirrors and so on and it took her some real courage just to walk through doors into the hospital every fortnight um, and and so on as you know if any of you have encountered anybody that's been through this. You know, it's an um, um, it's in- in incredibly challenging period of time in anybody's life and, and for those around those people. Um, and she's quoted as saying, you know, that cancer battle batters you mentally, physically and emotionally. And for her, the worst aspect was definitely the nausea and the sickness. And she reacted so badly to the chemotherapy that she'd start being sick virtually the moment that the drug was administered. And um, a nurse, I would say an enlightened nurse at that, suggested that hypnotherapy may be um, a solution, might help her. And she was desperate for some relief, decided to give it a go. At her first session, she sat down on a comfortable chair and, um, and, and the therapist gave her a blanket. Never mind. Um, um, And at her next chemo session, she felt queasy, but she did not vomit once. And, you know, I just loved reading that. Huge smile when I read that. Um, Two weeks before that, she was sick at the hospital when connected to the drip in the car coming home and throughout the rest of the day and the evening. And that just didn't happen again after hypnotherapy. She went every weekend um, before treatment on the Monday and states that, you know, she'd wish she'd known about it sooner um, um her treatment finished back in two thousand and seven um and she's she's she 's been free of cancer since then she 's gone on to lead a very fulfilling life being an author and has written a book about her experiences and so on and I just think is a wonderful advertisement you know dis- despite the blanket thing um, um it 's a wonderful advertisement for hypnotherapy and some of the stuff that really can be done with it um, in the face of some some really serious treatment you know not not making any claims that hypnotherapy cures um instead that it actually in an adjunctive capacity you know really gave her 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 life in a number of different ways um, um which is wonderful to read links to all of those stories given over at this episode's page of the hypnosis weekly website do have a read Now, next up, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back Dipti Tate. As you'll hear, um, Dipti has encountered, uh, sadly, her own fair share of grief and following her own dealings with it and following her qualifying as a hypnotherapist, she went on to write a book, um, Good Grief, and work with people that were suffering with grief. Um, That's what it's all about this time round. Here is this week's professional discussion about using hypnotherapy, dealing with grief with Dipti Tate. Enjoy. So I'm back once again with uh, this week's guest, Dipti Tate. Um, And about a year ago, Um, back in 2016, Dipti's um, book Good Grief was published. Um, um, And and I'm guessing it can almost sound like an oxymoron, the title there, Good Grief. Um, um, So Dipti, first of all, tell us a little bit about the background, how the book came to be, um, and and why you decided to write a book um, with this focus upon the subject of grief.
1: Well, the interesting thing is I actually never sat down and thought, you know what, I'm going to sit here and write a book about grief. Um, It had just come along by accident. And Mm. it was because um, I lost both my parents. So um, I lost my dad, first of all. Mm. And that's when I started to write what i call now my grief diary Mm. um and this grief diary became quite a comprehensive bible i suppose for me to just kind of brain dump all of the stuff that was going through my head and mind and thought process at the time so i just continued to write in these diaries and these diaries these diaries just became like volumes of of, of literature really yeah um and then um several years later, my mum died. Um, and that was when I was training to be a hypnotherapist. Right. So it was a really interesting contrast um, in my mind of how I dealt with it when my dad died, and then how I dealt with it when my mum died. And it was I mean, it wasn't like I loved my mum less than I loved my dad, you know it was actually you know I'm an only child, I love my parents the boat, both the same, but I dealt with it so much differently while I was training to be a hypnotherapist, and I was really curious about what had changed i mean although I'd grown up a bit you know it was about ten years later, so maybe I was a bit more wiser, i don't know, yeah. but I definitely thought there was something something there you know about hypnosis and hypnotherapy that's really helped me move on really successfully from from that experience compared to when my dad died and then I thought well what is it so I went back to these diaries um, and then I realized that there was actually gold dust within this these diaries and i i got a book writing coach actually and she helped me consolidate all of those diaries into what is now good grief the book and the reason why it is an oxymoron is because grief isn't normally seen as a good thing um and yeah. we we don't really celebrate it um especially in the western world uh, but actually um I kind of see it in a different way now. And I help people realize that actually it can be a good thing. And the whole book explains how and why.
0: Yeah. 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 And so, um, um, I mean, so much that I want to ask you about, um, but based upon some of the things that you've just said. So, so, the, the the approach and the stance the book um um you know are off air I asked you you know is is this is this a self help book or is this a book that is gonna help therapists you know work with people that are that are, uh, are working with, with with those that have experienced a, a grief of a different kind can you give just give us a, a, a little idea as far as that's concerned and then perhaps I can start asking you about you know some of the content of it.
1: So it's it can be for therapists, but it it's actually for everybody. It's for everybody who experiences Grief and when I talk about grief the interesting thing is it's yeah. you know Some people might think grief is to do with when someone has died yeah. You know, but it's not it's actually when you've lost something or you faced a loss or something, you know dramatic or monumental or significant has changed in your life so for example I moved from London, I was a Londoner, and I still am a Londoner, but I moved from London to the Cotswolds to live about 10 years ago. And I spent about five or six years grieving London, you know, and I didn't realise I was actually grieving until Mm -hmm. I... I kind of put two and two together and thought wow wow, I'm experiencing the same sorts of feelings as I experienced when my parents died so so I think my you know my whole viewpoint is that everybody is grieving something Mm. so until they realize that they can't make peace with it or they can't accept it or they can't move on so until you realize what you're dealing with is grief and then you kind of put that in a box and go, "Okay, this is what I do with it now, then you're able then to kind of let it go, I suppose,
0: yeah, yeah, and so have you have you found that 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 you've worked with and you've found yourself working with a lot of people to help them with their grieving
1: yeah, and it's not usually only people who've lost anybody, and this is the this is the interesting thing because Time and time again, when people come into the practice, you know, they might say things like, um, you know, I I kind of want to give up drinking, for example. And you think, okay, that's not a grief related issue, but then they start talking, and then they start saying things about, you know, oh, you know, I've just become a father, I've just got married. And, you know, they're literally grieving their kind of bachelorhood or they're grieving the fact yeah, that they weren't a parent. Yeah, yeah. And it's really common, <laughs> I, isn't I th- it?
0: I think I'm probably still grieving it today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you can see how sometimes it can get lost in the system or stuck in the system. And you're not quite sure where this, you know, what what this feeling of irritation or, or you know, it, well, it doesn't even have to be major anxiety but there's a tiny little thing that sneaks in the system yeah and and that sort of stuff that you know is stuff that is grief and it is there and once you've acknowledged it it then kind of goes away so yes. it's really interesting
0: yeah yeah it really is so so tell me a little bit about um about uh, you know what what typically um, are, are there some typical sort of foundation components that you see that that occur within your work and that are that are themes within your book that that you think everybody can benefit from, and the ways in which perhaps hypnosis, hypnotherapy, or or, or the approach that you offer, um, um, that, that some of the themes that kind of recur, or some of the approaches that you take, that 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 that, that occur and reoccur, um, are, are there some sort of foundations to the approach that
1: you have? yeah so if you think about it grief is actually like a cocktail of emotions it's really when the brain feels an emotional overwhelm isn't it so um with all of our clients you know usually they've come to see us because they're emotionally overwhelmed you know whether it might be some form of anxiety or depression or you know anywhere in between the two really um so grief again is because it's the emotional overwhelm what we're trying to sort of help our clients with is hold those emotions in an intellectual space so that's kind of where we are with the solution focus part of the work is is moving from the primitive emotional mind over to the intellectual mind the part of the brain that can look for solutions access your resources you know move you in a direction that is um not just solution focused but innovative, creative, you know, that kind of thing. So because we want to move our clients into the intellectual mind, into the part of their mind that that kind of sees things from a different point of view, um, there's some key questions that we can quickly ask them and I call this the no yes principle in my book. So I'll say something like, um um, you know, I'll kind of maybe say something like, is the current feeling you're feeling useful so we're not judging the feeling or trying to dismiss it or get rid of it or you know trying to ignore it at all we're just asking that question is it useful if the person says yeah it is useful then fine we don't have to do anything with it they're all good really if they say no then i'll say well do you want to change how you're feeling and so then that encourages them to think about, well, actually, am I, are they going to take ownership with recognising that their change has to be made? Um, so do I want to change how I'm feeling? If they say yes, which they usually do because that's why they're sitting there,
2: yeah.
1: then I'll say, well, what feeling do you want to move towards? So that goes back into the solution-focused aspect. You know, yeah. we know that you're feeling... Uh, I don't know, overwhelmed or anxious, we know that, we'll leave that there, but what actually do you want instead? So it's moving them in that direction. And then they have to start to tell you, well, I do, usually my clients will say, well, I don't want to feel overwhelmed. And then I say, yes, but what do you want to feel? Well, I just told you I don't want to feel overwhelmed. And so it's really difficult sometimes for people to kind of realize that, they're focusing on what they don't want rather than what they do want yeah. so it's our job isn't it to just kind of go well what do you want and eventually they get it and they may say well I just want to feel happy or sometimes they'll say I want to feel normal and I just think oh my god normal yeah, <laughs> yeah. um something inside of me uh, yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and so usually it's a it's a positive feeling and then we ask things like, well, what small thing can you do to move towards that feeling? You know, so maybe on a scale of zero, you're not there at all, and 10, you're there. What would move you up to a one, you know? So then they get that action going. They'll tell me something like, well, actually, um, I might call my sister and have a little chat with her. You know, it'll be something that the client will come out with. And then it's kind of like helping them to realize how will they know that they're moving in that direction? So they're taking that kind of ownership so the no yes principle comes from, is my current feeling useful? If they say no, and then they say, I say, do you want to change it? And they say yes, then that is the invitation for that yeah. principle to carry on working, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, um, you, mentioned, you mentioned your own grief diary. Um, um, so to speak, that that yeah. you know, but before you trained was something almost like a stream of consciousness of some kind. Um, um, is is diary diarising or self monitoring um, part of part of your approach?
1: Um, obviously, from a therapeutic aspect, from what I do with solution focused work, that's not part of that system but I feel that you know it's always for me useful to get stuff out of my head and on a piece of paper because that way my intellectual mind can take control over it Um, otherwise it just becomes a tangled ball of emotional mess really inside my mind so for me I feel it's a good way for me to sort of get perspective really Um, and you know it's kind of like that's kind of the way my mind works, so I always say, look, just dump it out of your head, put it on some paper in front of you. But that's my approach, so yeah. you know it might not work for everybody, but it yeah. works for yeah. me.
0: Yeah, and and you know, I, I, well, one of the things I, I often find about grief, for example, um, is 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 I think typically society and people in general really, really, really tiptoe because you know the, the, these people that are very delicate and going through, you know, exactly as you've said, some some emotional or sensory overwhelm um, um, of of a wide variety. Um, um, do do, do, Do you find that you have some special considerations and you treat people differently as a result of grief, or do you think, you know, it's we're better served treating them exactly the same as we would a depressed client or an anxiety client, for example?
1: Well, the interesting thing about solution-focused hypnotherapy is that we don't dwell on the problem or the issue. Ah, but yeah, but I feel that with grieving clients, I have to be a bit more careful. So I can't – I mean, otherwise, I can go into dangerous territory of them not feeling heard um, and, then, and their emotional mind not feeling honored, if that makes yeah. sense. So what I will say to them um, is – I'll explain how we do things in solution focused work and say, typically, if this was a completely solution focused session, I wouldn't really allow you to talk about it, um, yeah. but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a leeway here, and I'm going to I'm going to say you're allowed to talk about it in this session, and then from this session onwards we move forward. So it's kind of like I give them an opportunity, so they know the ballpark, they kind of know the boundary. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a sort of just a slight bit of a tweak, uh, because. Yeah. The emotional stuff has to go somewhere. Um, you know, so the problem with grief is that or the problem with people who are grieving is that they don't know where to put that emotion it's not channeled correctly yeah. um, or usefully so it will come out in outburst in the supermarket or you know somewhere else that's not very appropriate yeah. so it's just about helping them recognize that it's okay to be overwhelmed emotionally it's okay to have the whole myriad of anxiety depression loneliness guilt you know all of the other stuff that comes in and out of your awareness when you're grieving but it's it's also okay to understand how to I suppose convey that emotion so give it a container really yeah. so that's kind of what we're teaching them is to to hold the space intellectually
0: yeah 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 that's fascinating um that's really interesting and um um you know um, um, for for hypnotherapists that are listening and that are perhaps thinking, you know, that either they they veered away from from working with people that have experienced grief or or I, you know, typically in my experience, I don't think grief is is a subject that gets that necessarily gets taught uh, at the diploma level or things like that. Um, um, um you know, is, is there any any sort of standout or particular advice or or that 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 you would offer, that you could give, um, with regards to people working with with, with grief.
1: I suppose it's interesting because I I had to learn it again on my own when I, I kind of do this don't I it sounds like I've I didn't realize I was such a kind of lone wolf but <laughs> I do kind of just bodge things together for myself and i just kind of make it fit it's kind of like I take a bit here from a bit there and a bit from there and a bit from there and I kind of formulate stuff for myself that works for me yeah. um, so in that case I I wouldn't know how to direct somebody else how to learn about it apart from um you know I suppose maybe read my book and then understand where I've come from even though I don't think my book is a bible of how to do 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 anything or how to deal with it but it's just a way that I found for myself and because it worked for me it could potentially work for somebody else as you know whether or not they're um a client or a therapist yeah. um, and I believe in sharing stories Um like you do with your podcast you know you're you're getting so many different people on and sharing all different kind of viewpoints and it's, it's a really good way of learning and it's a really good way of expanding your awareness yeah. so I think when we can share our stories more and more uh, we can take bits that feel right and then leave the bits that don't so it's the same sort of process yeah. really
0: yeah brilliant brilliant um um i could just i could just keep keep talking about this um um and 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 but uh, you know i'm doing that thing where i keep forgetting that i'm actually running a podcast here <laughs> um, um and wanting to keep chatting to you um and people that are interested in a book um, um th- can they grab a copy at your website or is it best to go to amazon or what's wh- what is the best place to grab it
1: yeah you can get it from all normal retailers um but if you want a signed copy you can get that from my website so there are two places that i mentioned before thecotswoldpractice.com or diptytate.com but otherwise available waterstones amazon usual places
2: brilliant
0: brilliant dipty thank you ever so much for coming uh and being my guest on hypnosis weekly and accepting my invitation to be the guest here um it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you
1: Oh, thank you so much for asking me.
0: I really enjoyed that. Some fascinating stuff in there. My thanks to Dipti. Um, On to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And the fact of the week is this, that self-hypnosis compares favourably to prescribed medication in the treatment of asthma. There's a 2009 study by Zobiri and colleagues, something that um, a study that I've looked at in great depth as part of my own research. Um, And it compared self-hypnosis to a control group that were taking their usual prescribed medication medication in the treatment of asthma. Now, the subjects in the self-hypnosis group received an instructional session whereby the subjects were educated about hypnosis and then taught how to use mental imagery with um, or in conjunction with self-hypnosis sessions. And were told to practice as often as they wished, but at least once a day. And this resulted in a reduction of asthma symptoms and in particular, um, dysponia symptoms. Um, and this is wonderful stuff. You know, I know that um, I'm on this slot before, I've spoken about self-hypnosis and hypnosis and how it can um, um, be useful in the treatment of asthma. Um, and uh, I, like to, I, re, I like to really blow the trumpet in this particular regard. So um, there you have it. Self-hypnosis compares favorably to prescribed medication in the treatment of asthma. And um, a link to that particular study uh, is included on the this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So that is it for this week's 83rd edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. Next time out, I welcome sports hypnotherapist Craig Siegel. And I'll let you into a secret. I have a major TV personality joining me in a couple of episodes time. Um, I'll let the cat out of the bag in next week's show. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted in each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions, and questions. So do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered, and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Dipty Tate, and my thanks to you as always for tuning in My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.